Hello, and welcome back to the Modern Day Rebels podcast. I'm so excited to kick off season two with this episode. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm your host, Julia Frank, and every other week I sit down with a modern day rebel who actively challenges the conventional. We reflect on the current systems in place, uncover the newest findings, and shine light on the areas that are still a work in progress. Together, we demystify terms and topics you might be familiar with, but never had the chance to dive into and answer the questions we didn't know to ask. In today's episode, I sit down with Natalie Scott from Natalie Scott Empowers, who is a money mindset and savings coach. One of the financial topics I came across earlier this year is the concept of paying yourself first, which has been an incredibly powerful tool for me. It's so great to have Natalie on this podcast to dive into this topic. Some of the other topics we talk about are money management, what creating generational wealth means, how we can develop a money mindset, and some of the other ways we can reach our financial goals. It was such an incredibly informative conversation, and like with most topics, the first step is just knowing what options are out there and learning the vocabulary to get started. Of course, everything we discuss should not be interpreted as financial advice for your specific situation, and I'd always recommend consulting a professional about your circumstances. This episode was so powerful, and I can't wait for you to hear it, so let's dive right in. Well, thanks so much, Natalie, for being here with me today. I really appreciate it. To start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Hi, everybody. So um, I'm a money mindset and savings coach. And basically what I deal with, before I deal with anyone's savings, I always start off with their mindset. And basically what that is, is getting them away from a place of scarcity and limiting beliefs and really honing in their place of abundance. So I work with clients and getting them to that place. Amazing. And I can't wait to dive into some of those topics further. Before we get started, why would you consider yourself a modern day rebel or why might someone else consider you, you as one? I think it's because I am a risk taker and people would describe me as that. And I really don't like to take no for an answer. So um, if I don't get a yes, I just go somewhere else until I get a yes, basically. And if I do get a no, I try and convince them to turn it into a yes. So um, yeah, I don't back down in those areas. So I definitely think that makes me that, you know, that rebel of modern society. <laughs> Great. So where did all of this start? Where kind of did your path as a money mindset and saving coach begin with? Um, well, it actually started about three years ago when um, I was a mentor. So I'd go around schools in Southeast London and I would mentor children on fashion because I have a fashion background. And when I was doing that, I noticed that a lot of the kids, I think maybe because I wore a lot of designer back then, I don't anymore, they would say, oh, miss, you know, you must earn a lot of money. You know, you dress kind of well, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, you know what? It's not the fact that I earn a lot of money, just I'm good with my money. I'm good with my paycheck, you know, and I know how to use it. So then I started to think this is really important. It's, it, it, finance in itself is an important topic for young people because we're not taught it under curriculum. So when I started to see the need for that, I think the last year when I started doing it, I started implementing finance into my talk. So it wasn't just fashion, it was fashion and finance. And I think that kind of opened up a dialogue for what money actually is. What is money management? How can we have more of it? And how can we manage it? So yeah, I've just started doing that for about three years now. And then I thought, hmm, I wanna take this further because it's great going into schools and obviously talking about finance, but then how about like the younger people that have already left school? What about them? You know, there's a space in the market for them. So I thought, okay, cool. I want to 
make sure that I'm talking to millennials. I want to make sure that I'm talking to the Gen Zs because they're our next generation. And I want them to understand what money is. But then I had to look at myself and I thought to myself, okay, how was I, what was I like when I was their age? And then I started to look at where these thoughts started to come from, why I wasn't able to manage money. And it's because of my money mindset. And at the time I didn't understand that it was money mindset. I just thought it was just my behaviors, which is the same thing. And then I looked at my family and how they dealt with money. And then I could see that I was basically repeating this family money blueprint. And I thought, okay, I need to start working with young people one-on-one and training them and helping them change their money mindset. And literally that's how it came about. I was a mentor Then I said, okay, I wanna do coaching so I can work with people one-on-one. I got a coach myself and I worked with them and I literally built my course from working with a coach. And literally I haven't looked back since then. And that happened at the beginning of 2020. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on today is because money is such a taboo. We don't really talk about money. We're told not to talk about it. When you started having those dialogues, how did other people receive that? Were they kind of very enthusiastic to talk about it or were they apprehensive at first? They were very apprehensive. They thought, miss, what are you talking about? This is all la la. They just didn't understand it. They thought I was on like another planet. And I think it's because we're, as a nation, we can be quite negative when it comes to anything. And I think like misery, you know, misery loves company. And I felt that if everyone just doesn't talk about money and everyone just deals with it and sucks it up, everything will be fine. But it won't because you're seeing that people are in debt. People don't have to talk about money. People don't have to ask for a pay rise. So clearly mindset is very important. So then I had to kind of, even there, it was a challenge to change their mindset in that to even allow me to talk about the topic. But you know what, when you give people results, and it's sad to say, but when you give people results, that's when they start to listen. So when I showed people um, how I was able to buy a house on a very low income, they didn't understand how that was possible. You know, you have to work and earn a lot of money to have that. I said, no, it's not about how much you earn, it's about how much you keep. And then the light bulb went off and they was like, oh, so it doesn't really matter if someone's on 50K and someone's on 30, the person on 30 could have substantially more because they know how to manage their money. So when I started like giving them those examples, that's when they started to listen and be like, okay, I want to know more. So diving into that, when you say money mindset, what exactly does that mean? So money mindset is basically our behaviors. So it's how we react, it's how we respond, it's how we talk about money. It's how we respond to everything that means money. So for instance, if someone says, oh, I want this hundred pound dress. If I say, oh, that's a bit much. Where did that come from? Where did that money mindset come from? And it usually stems from your childhood. So growing up, seeing your immediate family, how did they respond to money? Where did they place the value of money? What did they spend their money on? Was it just to cover bills or did they enjoy themselves? Did you go on holidays as a child? Like little things like that is very, very important to understand where your money mindset comes from. Because again, as children, we take on a lot growing up. We're sponges. And sometimes we take on good things and we take on bad. We take on morals, we take on values. And then we pass it on to our adulthood and we just see it as, yeah, this is who we are. No, this is not just who we are. This is who we became because of our childhood. It's really interesting kind of what pops up, right? Even just in passing of like, oh, filthy rich. There's so many emotions tied to the way that we can talk about money. And you've had quite an interesting journey with your own money mindset, if you wouldn't mind kind of talking about that. Yeah, sure. So growing up um, with both parents and my twin sister in one household, we had money, you know, we were comfortable. 
But I found that, especially my dad, he held on to money. And I didn't understand that, you know, we've got money, we're comfortable. Why are we holding on to it? We didn't really go on many family holidays. We went on one family holiday and it was a beautiful holiday to sunny Jamaica for six weeks. And I was, it was amazing. I was like, oh, why can't we do these things more often? And we didn't speak about money. That was another thing. So the only thing I really got taught as a child was to save money and anything that I want have to work for it. So I got pocket money at a young age and I always saved up my pocket money to get what I really wanted. That was kind of a good thing that I took from it because I'm a great saver to this day. But saying that, although I am a great saver, I do hold onto money. I have this tendency to hold onto money. And it's only when I obviously got older, I started working, starting seeing how other people valued money around me. That's when I was able to see, okay, my upbringing wasn't necessarily correct when it came to certain things about money. And that's when I started to do the work on myself. And I started going back to my parents and asking them questions. Why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? And then when I got the answers, I was like, okay, cool. Your situation isn't my situation. So I don't need to live like that. And that's what's important. We need to go back and talk to our families. Like, why did they do what they did? And when you realize it's completely different to your situation, you, you would literally make a whole U-turn and stop. I think those conversations are quite interesting because I think sometimes they can be a little bit daunting. I have those conversations with my mother as well and be like, is this sentence from you or is this? And she'll be, actually, that one was passed down from my mother to me, to you. And that realization that we don't have to continue that. One of the things you really talk about is paying yourself first. And it's something that I want to get into this concept of paying yourself first. Where did you have that aha moment of like, okay, so you're really good at saving, you're putting, you know, you're, you're kind of keeping money for a rainy day for your, your financial goals. I know you bought some property and you are now an angel investor to invest in property. But where did you even start with all of this, right? Because I think finance is such a, everyone knows we should know about finance, but actually we don't get into the nitty gritty at all. So how did you get to become an angel investor and to where you are now? So... Stemming from my childhood, being a very good saver and going into my adulthood, I saved and saved and saved and I just hoarded money and didn't know what to do with it. That's when I had a moment, I was like, okay, cool. I want to enjoy my life as well. So how am I gonna do this so I can have best of both worlds? Then I thought, okay, what I'm gonna do each month, when I get paid, I'm gonna put something aside for myself and I'm gonna put it in an account and I'm gonna leave it there. That was me paying myself first. But at the time I didn't give it that title. I just knew it was an act that was doing. So I've always been a nosy child and around the age of about 23, 24, people around me were talking about money all the time. Like people in my family, they own, they own multiple property as well. So I was like, hmm. I want to learn more about this property thing because my dad had a, um, a rental property as well. And I was like, okay, I want to get into this as well. So I didn't want to go to my dad and ask him only because I felt he was very old school with how he did stuff. And I just wanted to make everything to be proper. So I literally saw something in the back of the Metro newspaper about coming to a two hour seminar to talk about property. And I went and it was free. And I really, really enjoyed it. And by going to that seminar, I met loads of people and I just started connecting and networking with people. And literally by just taking those steps and being in places that I never knew if I was welcome to or not, I literally just started talking to people. I connected with them. I asked them, what books are you reading? What are you listening to? I read those books. One of the first books that I read was um, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. That book changed my life. That book got me investing at 25, that's when I started my investment journey. And then with property, I was able to get a property just because of the community of people that I met. Because with property, although it's a business, it's a people business. 
And literally by just like all this wealth of knowledge around me. So I didn't really know. I never bought a property before. I didn't know what to do, especially because I wanted it to be an investment property. I needed help. So I asked people, how do I do it? They held my hand every step of the way. And I'm really appreciative of that to this day. So it's just about putting yourself in uncomfortable positions, getting out of your comfort zone and being the only person in the room that no one else looks like you. I was the only female there. And I was one of the youngest people there as well. And it's just like grasping the information because I noticed that people who are wealthy and people that are rich, they're always willing to help you. All you have to do is ask. And that's what I did. So that's how I started off with my property. And then I had a bit of money left over after that. And I thought, okay, I don't want to leave my money in the bank because I was very aware that, you know, interest rates were low they're even lower now but back then they were low and I was like okay what can I do with this money that I have because obviously I would like to buy another property but maybe a residential property this time but I knew it would be that more of a long-term dream so I said okay I have this money I want to angel invest literally because I met these people at this event I started going to what we call pin events property investment network events and I literally just met people and I just talked to people and I said, yeah, I've got a bit of money. I'd like to be an angel investor basically. And then with that as well, it's a trust process. There's a contract that has to be signed. Lawyers have to sign it. And you know, you put X amount, they tell you how much you'll get back and interest. And I literally just took the plunge and I did it. And then I got my sister to do it too. So we both do it. And it's nice because, you know, we've got a lump sum of money with an investor that we trust, that we know. We've seen his property, updates us on a monthly basis. And, you know, when next year comes, we'll get back our investment and we'll get back our interest as well. So it's a win-win situation. But again, with stuff like that, it's a definitely who you know business as well. So you just literally have to keep yourself in the know. If property is what you want to get into, start going to pin events. Start going to wealth networking events. You just have to make yourself available to do it. I think that's what's been quite interesting because I definitely didn't really have finances on my radar at all until I think a year or two ago. And it is really the moment you start talking about it, you realize, and I know this is something you really prioritize as well in your work, is that safe space is like, we're all in the same place, but we just don't know we all started in the same place because we didn't talk about it. And once we start talking about it, you get knowledge nuggets from here and there and kind of can can piece them all together. So paying yourself first, what exactly does that come down to? Discipline number one. And basically what paying yourself is, is that you put money aside for you. As soon as you get paid, you put something aside for you. Now the amount you put, that is really dependent on your circumstances. But at a bare minimum, I'll say 10% or whatever you take home is what you should be putting down for yourself. And why I say it is because I always say this, the tax, the tax man takes 20% or 40 to 45%, depending on what bracket you sit in. And that goes, we don't even question it, it just goes. So why can't you put 10% down towards your future, whatever your goal is? that your future self will thank you for. It's the same principle. And I think we just need to get into the habit of doing those things and automating it. Don't manually do the payment because the chances of you doing it are quite slim if you do it like that. Automate the payment, that's my favorite word, and just set up a direct deposit into an account that you cannot see or touch. That's a big thing as well. And just let it grow. So it's essentially, rather than waiting until the end of the month and kind of hoping that there's there's something left, it's taking a chunk up front. Exactly that. And with that, what are some of the hurdles? Because the paying yourself is also paying your future self, right? This can go into yes. retirement, rainy day funds, investing. What are some of the challenges that you see people have with that? I think for me, they wonder how long is it going to take? So that puts a lot of people off. And two, they think, oh, it's going to take too long. 
So I won't bother starting. And that's the wrong attitude to have. The best thing is to start. I always say a little goes a long way. So the best thing is to actually start making a payment and putting something down towards your future. Because if you say, oh, it's going to take too long, but you want to give yourself five years, just work backwards. How much do you need in five years time and work backwards? Can I afford that monthly payment? Yep, I can. Just do it. And I mean, let's be real. The years go by so quick. So the best time to start is now. And that's what I'd say. Don't be scared so much about the big number because that does put a lot of people off. Just start putting something aside each month and get comfortable with that figure. And is one, I mean, living in London, both live in London is quite expensive. So what would you say to the individual who say, but you know, my wage isn't high enough or there is nothing left at the end of the month. What are some of the, or, you know, I don't really know how to budget. What are some of those things that you would say to questions like that? When people say, oh, you know, I have nothing at the end of the month. And, you know, if I had more money, then I'll be better off. I say to them, hold it a minute. You do have money. You do. Everyone has money. When people say there's not enough left at the end of the month, I say, okay, okay, print out your bank statement. Let's get a highlighter pen. Let's go through it together. Because you will actually find the amount of stuff that you spend. I'm not talking about your fixed, like monthly subscriptions and your gym and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you spend money at Deliveroo, Uber Eats, um, you, you get an Uber, you go out, you buy a packet of cigarettes. Like, these are things that are not necessities in our lives. So when we start unpacking that and looking at where we could actually save some money, we find out that, okay, I do have money, but I'm just not spending my money properly. What I would say, always have a spending account. So your money comes into your, your checking account or your current account, and then your money goes out. What I would do is have a spending account, have an account just for your spending for the month. When it reaches that limit, that is it. It's all about having a bit of discipline. And we don't want to have discipline. We just want to live our lives. But if you have goals, you have to have discipline and it will be implemented that way. I think that's something you said on Instagram. You were like, you know, the, the whole concept of, of YOLO. And you're like, yes, but if you also... You could die tomorrow, but if you happen to live longer, you also want to be prepared for that scenario. Exactly. I think that's what a lot of people say. Oh, you know, you only live once, buy the bag, buy the dress. You only live once. I'm like, yeah, it's true. You, But you might live another 30, 40, 50 years and you've got no pension because you opted out of your workplace pension and you just didn't think that that was important. You wanted all your money now. There's a reason why we pay certain taxes because in certain places around the world, you know, no one, some people don't pay tax because they have to manage their own money. I mean, although people would say a lot of stuff about the system here in the UK, it works for a reason and it's like that for a reason because if they gave us all our money without tax and left it in our hands to do it, most of us wouldn't do it and HMRC will be after us. So the fact that that is put in place, be thankful and now think about how can I make or build more money for myself. When you talk about this, you also tie it into, you know, the question of what are you working for? And you put it so nicely. And I'm going to just ask you to kind of go into this because Mm -hmm. I don't want to paraphrase you badly. But this question of, yeah, what are you working for? at the end of the day, if you don't have anything left for yourself. Exactly. And I mean, I say this all the time. So (laughs) you're the one getting up early in the morning. You know, you're the one taking the commute. You're the one working with people that you might not necessarily like. So what have you got to show for it after a year of working? Say you're on a 30K annual. What, What have you got to show for that? You've got nothing left over. So for me, it's like, it's almost like a disservice to yourself. If you're working, putting in those hours, exchanging your time for money, and then at the end of the month, even, you have nothing to show for it because you just spent it all. So you're in a vicious cycle. Are you just working to live and living to work? 
I think not when you ask people that questions like, no, you know, I want to enjoy myself and go on holidays. I think holidays must be the only thing that Brits save up for because we go on holidays. The Brits love holidays. So it's like, oh, so you have money to budget for a holiday or unless you're doing it on a credit card and then taking years to pay it back, which I would not advise. But why can't you use that same energy that you would to put money towards a holiday, to put some money down towards, I don't know, what, whatever your long-term goals are. It could be that you wanna move out and you wanna have your own place, put something in place. There's loads, there's Lizers, there's loads of different accounts where you can really make your money work for you. So I think we need to realize what is important. Yes, a holiday is nice, but you know, you can save for a holiday and you can save for your retirement or your future as well. And with that, something you mentioned as well is creating generational wealth. What exactly does that mean? So generational wealth is basically that if I pass when I have kids, they have something left over for them and it goes on and on and on. Now, this is a very, a very new term to a lot of us because, you know, it's something that we think maybe is not available for us or we just never heard of it. And all it is, is having certain insurances in place. So a lot of people don't know that insurance can, can make us rich, really. And all it is, is that just having certain insurances in place that should anything happen to you, your family are secured. And that is with life insurance. Now, I don't know how far we're gonna get into this, but with life insurance, there's so many types of life insurance. There's a um, level term, there's whole life, there's so many. And I'll use the example of whole life insurance, basically. So you pay like a premium, and then what happens is that whatever, you have to make sure that you're covered for at least four to five times your annual earnings. And then obviously as your, your pay changes, you let them know so they ad adapt it accordingly. So with life insurance, if I was to pass away and leave kids, they will have money left for me. And that will take care of them. It will be a substantial amount, usually four to five times of what you actually earn. So imagine leaving behind that money. And remember, that is just only life insurance. There's other things that we take in place. I would have a will in place because I've got assets. So they will get some of that as well. And then there'll be other insurances as well that you could have like critical illness insurance, which is important to add as well. And um, what I will say, I'm not an advisor, but when you're getting out life insurance, always make sure that you do have critical illness insurance as a separate policy. I see a lot of people that have them together. And when you have that together, it's which one comes first. So if you become critically ill, your insurance pays out for that. If then after that you get better and then you pass away, your insurance won't pay out. So that's why I'm always, it's so important to have your life insurance and your critical illness insurance as two separate policies. Because, you know, life, things happen in life and most of us don't die of old age anymore, you know? Most of us will die of some kind of illness. So it's always important to be, make sure that we're protected in that. And literally those two policies, they, they will literally pay out. And your child will be, I wouldn't necessarily say set for life, it just depends, but there's generational wealth because I'm 30 years old and my parents are almost 60. And I don't know how long they're going to live, but say they live like, another 30 years and I'm a bit older, I may not need that money, but then that money can be passed down to my children, you know, who are younger. So it's all about creating that generational wealth and not blowing it, not blowing the money. I think too many times we wait for people to die and then we wait for them to sell an asset that they had, you know, after they've taken their inheritance tax bill, depending on how much the asset is worth. And then we're left with what's ever left. Whereas life insurance is it's different. It's not, it's not an asset, it's literally insurance. 
And the same thing can be done for people that have kids as well. You can take out a junior ISA, you can take out a child pension for your child. There's so many things. So your child doesn't have to wait for your parent to die to get life insurance cover. They can literally live off what they've gotten from their junior ISA or their own child pension. So there's so many, that's what I'm saying, insurances and certain accounts is so important to look into it because you can create generational wealth with that. I think it's interesting too, because if we look at generation, and I know you specifically focus on millennials and Gen Z, but I think it was Gen X um, was the first ones, the ones that came right after the boomers were the first ones that up until the boomers, you were about 90% likely to out earn your parents. But it was then with Gen X that that completely stopped. And I think, I don't know the, the stats for millennials and Gen Z, but it does feel like there was, a, you know, the, the boomer generation and then all of a sudden it kind of stopped. And you hear this all the time of like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to afford property, if I can afford property. It is something that seems to, I think is really interesting, this concept of generational wealth of just trying to get back on that and, and help out future you and future future kids as well. 100%. Another thing you talk quite a bit about is self-investment and mm. why people don't tend to and fear seems to be a big thing in it as well 100 but yeah. if you want to talk a little bit more about the benefits of investing yourself with a coach or programs 100 percent. so with me i'm all about transformation and i thrive of transformation so I, i'm always willing to invest in myself because i know if i invest in myself I'm going to get the results for myself. And especially when I have an exchange of money, because money is basically energy. When we exchange money with someone, we're giving someone money in the hope that they're giving us something back. If I'm giving a coach money, I'm hoping to get value back. So if I see the value in someone else and I'm giving them their money, I know I'm going to get the value back, which is going to obviously take me to new heights. And I feel that a lot of people don't understand that money is actually energy. So therefore they're scared to spend it. They don't even know the, the own power that they actually have in their hand because they just don't understand it. And until you actually understand that money is just energy and it comes and it goes and it flows, you're always going to be scared and not know how to handle it. And I think that's why people just don't invest. But I think you need to invest because Again, I'm a sponge. I love to learn. I love to learn new things. And I do get that that lovely like adrenaline rush when I've accomplished something. And the fact that I wasn't scared to ask for help. A lot of people are scared to ask for help, but there's so much help out there. All you have to do is be brave and ask. And there's no such thing as fair. There's no such thing. So I think we just need to be comfortable with actually asking for help and admitting that we need it. But people are scared because it's money, isn't it? It's a topic of money. Even though we're talking about investing in ourselves, we have to exchange money. And a lot of people don't like to discuss money. And because they don't like to discuss it, they're not going to take out their cash. And it's probably because sometimes they just don't believe in themselves. But I think it's interesting too, because it's almost this, or at least that's how I felt about it in the beginning. It's like, there was a lot of shame tied to it because I should have known. I should be able to manage my money. But actually, when we break it down, it's not something we're taught in schools. It's not something that necessarily we're, we're taught in the home to the full extent. And it changes all the time, as you mentioned, you know, with life insurances and staying up to date. And especially having lived in three countries now, <laughs> it's completely different. I can imagine. So I'm, not, I'm not sure why we have this expectation that we should know it all with, without asking. And within money management, I thought it was quite interesting too, because one of the biggest myths that you've also talked about is that your financial wellness increases as you have more money. But that isn't, 
isn't the case, right? Because the more money that people have, the more we spend. So again, it's when people say to me, oh, if I had more money, my life would be better. And reality, it, it won't be. Because if you can't even manage the money that you have, the little that you think you have, if you can't manage that, the universe is not going to give you more. You only get what you can manage. The more money I give you, the more money you're actually going to blow. And it's about what we can actually keep. So I said, what you have now is a blessing because I meet loads of people that have loads of money, but they still mismanage it. So it's all about managing what you have. And then once you manage what you have effectively, more will come to you. Well, I think it's interesting now with social media, because one of the things that I see is, is quite a struggle is this concept of living below your means, but then we're constantly bombarded with other people's lifestyle and other people's looking rich and wealthy yes. and showing that. So how have you been able to manage that relationship? So what I've done, I've just had to unfollow quite a few accounts because, you know, I like nice things, but it can be quite, it could be quite detrimental to your mental well-being actually, when all you're doing is feeding yourself all these glorious lifestyles and you know that you're not living that lifestyle, but you want to live that lifestyle but you haven't got the money to live that lifestyle. And then this is what happens when you start getting yourself into debt. So what I did, I deleted certain accounts that weren't really empowering me. All my accounts now that I follow are mainly finance and mindset and businesses. So I started following accounts like that and learning more about my money. I also unsubscribed from all those silly ASOS fashion brands emails because I don't need to be notified every minute you have a 20% off sale. Because the thing is people think they're getting a bargain, but you're not, you're just paying 20% less you're still spending money you're not actually getting a discount or anything like that so I unsubscribe from all of that and it just made it lighter like when I look at my emails it's actually important emails that are waiting for me and not all this spam or fashion so I had to do that um, I had to disassociate myself with certain friends because you know they just spent too much money they wanted to go out every weekend and I'm like are we celebrating something oh we're not so I'm not coming so it's just learning to say no and that can be hard sometimes because a lot of people don't have the same mindset as you a lot of my friends do not have the same mindset as me. So they're living a completely different life. They're living paycheck to paycheck and they're enjoying it. And, you know, they want me to be part of their world. But sometimes I have to take a step back and be like, you know what, guys, I can't do this this month simply because my rota or my quota, it didn't reach my quota. So I won't be able to do that this month. And it's being very careful with the language you use as well, because it's all about mindset. It always comes back to mindset. I never say I'm broke. I can't afford those, that vocabulary, I never mention it. I just say, guys, I've reached my quota for dining this month. Can we look at next month? And I think it's very important that we get used to using that language with money, because again, whatever you put out there is what you get back. I think you said this somewhere really nicely. Don't feel pressure to conform if you can't afford it right now. Essentially, I've just spent tons of time watching your videos. <laughs> but one of the other things that you've mentioned as well is that just because someone looks wealthy doesn't mean that they actually are. How was that for you? actually coming from the fashion industry. Oh my gosh. So fashion number one doesn't pay that much. Like people think cause you work in fashion and you're working with all these high end designer brands that you must be on like 60,000 pounds. I can tell you, I've never been on 60,000 pounds working in the fashion industry a lot less, but I think when you watch people, you know that what they're on, like you can, you figure out what people are on. And every month they're just buying, buying clothes, buying shoes, buying bags. I mean, a lot of them do live at home. So, you know, if you've got the extra funds, I see that. But 
for me, it was just a really fake, there was a bit of a fakeness about it. It's like you're buying all these designer brands to look good, to presumably feel good, but how are you? Are you actually good? Are you okay? And a lot of the times they're hiding something. They're hiding something that they're not happy with because a lot of these people that, you know, look good, have all the designer wear, they're in debt. They're in debt. They're living paycheck to paycheck and they're finding money for clothes and shoes. And I look at them, I was like, how are you affording this? Credit card is what the answer I get back. And I'm just like, shocking. Like they're getting into debt for fashion. You're getting into debt for Gucci. It's really not worth it. And that's why for myself, I do not, everywhere, anywhere I've ever worked for, if there was a discount, I do not use it because my money that I earn from working there is my money. And I'll be damned if I'm going to put that money back into the company that I work for. If I really, really want something, I'll save up for it. I'll never put anything on a credit card. If I have to put something on a credit card, I can't afford it, right? So I'm the type of person that will leave something in my basket for the longest time. And then the next week, I'm like, oh, don't want it anymore. And that's what a lot. I wish a lot of people would do. Because a lot of people do regret their purchases as well. And, and with that kind of credit cards, but also I now see Klarna oh. at the checkout as well. Based on based on that reaction, I'm assuming you don't feel great about no. those options. If you have to put, if you have to use these buy now, pay later schemes for clothes, something is wrong. What's also interesting is like, right, is that is that whole setting up a system really is what it comes down to, right? That doesn't get you into temptation. So this is something you mentioned earlier when we chatted about pay yourself first is just having the accounts that you can't actually see, can't access and you also end up, I think you put the whatever is left over at the end of the month also into your savings. Yeah, always, always. A lot of people, and this is a bad thing as well. A lot of people don't pay themselves first. So they wait until the end of the month and see what they have left. And then they chuck it in their savings. And I'm like, oh, is this where you value yourself? At? You value yourself last because you're putting money for yourself last. So always put it first. And anything I have left over at the end, yep, I chuck it in. Some people might, oh, let me go shopping. Let me buy a new dress. It's not adding anything to your life. Whereas if you put that into your goals, it means you're getting to your goals quicker and it's important. So I think it's definitely important to put your money where you can't see it. Because for instance, I bank with Nationwide. So I've got my main account with them. I've got a joint account in there with my sister. And I've got like a measly account in the middle where I just chuck a few change in. It's just like everyday money, nothing special. But every time I log in, I see everything looking at me. And I'm like, oh. There's money in there. What can I buy? Because that money that sits in there, it's, it's got no purpose. And this is another thing. If you don't give your money purpose or guidance, it does run wild and it just runs riot. So for me, I knew that if I was going to have a savings account, a long-term savings account with a goal, it had to be an account that wasn't easy for me to access. It had to be an account that didn't allow me to have a debit card. It had to be difficult. And because I know how, how I am as a person, I have to put these things in place because if the money is looking at me, I will spend it. Even with me, I like to have money around me at all times. So I have like jars at home with money. So I have a pound coins, all my silver pennies, etc. But even with that, I had to change it because they were in glass. Like I could see it looking at me and I'm like, oh, there's like 50 pound in there. Let me just take it out. No, I had to put it in one of those tin ones where you have to use a um, tin opener to open it. That's <laughs> what I had to do because, you know, when you don't see it, it's out of sight, out of mind. And I, and if you're someone who struggles with that, then you put these things in place. And then once you do it, you get into a habit of it and then you're fine. 
Well, it's almost, it's, I guess, this this myth that people who are good with money are also have good self-control, but actually it's more likely that they have a really good system. Yeah. Before we kind of round things up, the last topic I kind of wanted to get into is because you mentor a lot of schools as well, yes. right? As young as primary school, I believe. Yeah, primary school, yes. And it's something that's quite interesting because, you know, there seems to be an understanding that we should be teaching this stuff in school. But what is it that you actually, you know, for listeners that have kids or uh, younger nieces and nephews, what is it that you you think would be best for us to teach younger individuals? Money management. So how I would do that, when I go into schools, I always talk about pocket money. I'm like, how much pocket money do you get? And they'll tell me, some of them get quite a lot. I, like, I didn't get that much when I was your age. Like, <laughs> they'll get like 10 or 20 pound a week. I was like, what? And then I'd be like, oh, so so have you spent it all? And some of them are really good. You'd be surprised. Some of them are really good. At, no, I've spent half of it. I'm saving up because I want to buy this dress that mommy and my mama saw in Primark. I was like, oh, that's so cute. So it's like you, you get them into an understanding that if you only have 20 pounds a week and you want something that might cost 40 pounds, then that's obviously going to take you two weeks to save up. Or it might take you four. You might get 10 pound a week pocket money. So when you talk to them like this, it's giving them um, a delayed gratification. And I think that's really important because you give a child five pounds and they can spend five pounds on sweets if they really wanted to, right? But then if you tell them, okay, if we save that for another two weeks, we're going to go to the arcade and we're going to get like a big box of treats. Wouldn't you prefer that? So it's how you entice a child. It's the same way how, how you entice adults. So when you talk to them about pocket money and literally just using things that they like, like sweets and toys and clothes and cute things, that's how you help them understand their money. Like I haven't got any kids yet, but I've got friends who have. And anytime it's their birthday, I always send five pound, no matter how old they are, I always send five pound. And then I always ring them up the next day when they've received it or they ring me. I'm like, so what are you gonna do with that five pound? And they're like, oh, mommy says we're gonna put it in the savings account. I said, what are you saving for? And they'll tell me what they're saving for. So you have a conversation. I think growing up, I would get money from my family, but they wouldn't have conversations about what are you gonna do with it? But it's really important to introduce money to kids. If they do get money in their birthday card, talk to them about it. What are they gonna do with that money? What do they want? Is there anything that they're saving up for? When you go shopping and do grocery shopping with them, give them a list and give them money and guide them on how to basically shop in a grocery store. It's fun. It's like play kitchen for them, but in real life. So it's all about like getting kids involved in the process of life. Cause this is something, this is life skills at the end of the day. So that's little ways that we can kind of get kids involved with money. And when it comes to investing or compound interest, do you have some tricks there as well? For children? Yeah. Oh, so you're old enough to have a bank account have the process of going with your child to open up that bank account and explain the process of what we're doing. And if they're young, maybe five, six, seven, you can open up an account for them and they can have full access to it when they're 18 or 16. So you kind of show them the process and you tell them what this money is being saved for. And then if you really want to get techie with them, talk to them about the interest rate, just to get them, just so they can understand a little bit. I think this is what I will do with my kids because they, they're going to they're gonna have to know everything. So you just like tell them, okay, this gives you, because a child account, you might be able to get 3%. So like this gives you 3% and work it out. So they know what that hundred pound has worked itself out to be. And it's just like little things like that. Can they learn math in school? So it's just like little things like that to help them to understand. And then literally after 10 years, that hundred pound is gonna be worth this amount. And then that 3% is gonna be worth this amount. And you get them really excited about money because I think we, we don't get excited about money anymore because we never had it growing up. 
you know and I think that's important to let children know that money is great it's not evil there's so many great things that we can do with it and you know once they start really tapping into that from a young age they're going to be fearless and ahead of everybody else (laughs) amazing so to wrap up the five questions I like to ask the first one is what book changed your life or shifted your mindset you already mentioned one earlier in the conversation the compound effect book yeah that book's really great but that one didn't really change my life I think for my mindset it had to been oh my gosh an amazing book which is feel the fair and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. But I, I've literally come back to that book three times on different occasions in my life just to give me a little pep talk and let me know that I'm on the right track. And also You're a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero. Both of these books are really good with mindset. So those are the two books that I always recommend. Great. What are your sources of strength or inspiration? So for me, it has to be books, um, books and podcasts. They're definitely my strength because I'm. I love to read. I love a proper book in my hands. I'm not a fan of um, the Kindles. I like an actual book. I love them, and podcasts I love because you know I've started to drive to them now. So I'm a type of person. I love to listen to music, right? But I've started to listen to podcasts on my on my long drives, and it's so nice. It's like someone's in the car with you, and you're, they're talking to you, and you're nodding your head like, "Yes, I agree. I agree." And I think. That's also amazing as well. A great podcast that I listen to is the Meaningful Money podcast by Pete Matthews. That's really good because he talks about everything. He helps you in retirement. And although I'm nowhere near there, it's just good to get on the ball now. And I listen to loads of, oh, there's too many to list, but podcasts are really good and books. And the book I'm currently reading on mindset is The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Half Ecker such a good book because it's literally just reaffirming everything that I teach. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the right track. I'm not teaching rubbish. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And this book confirms that. I think anyone who wants to start thinking about their mindset, I'd recommend that book because it literally just tells you everything. And it talks a lot about the rich and poor mindset as well, which I think is quite an interesting um, navigation to go into. So many great ones to look up there. Number three, what is your secret to success? Secret to success, I has to be, it has to be manifestation and vision boards because they've worked. I've got testimonies of when they've worked. Do you want to quickly define what both of them are? So manifestations is um, can either be in said form or written. Manifestation it also comes quite biblical, actually. Ask, believe, receive. So what is it that you want? You ask for it. Then you've got to believe that it's already yours and then you receive it, but you have to do the work. A lot of people think they can just ask for it, believe it's going to come and then they receive it. It doesn't work. You have to give manifestation action. So not so much worry about how you're gonna do it, but everything that you're doing now will lead up to that point. I always talk to people and I always say, wherever you are now, wherever your life is right now, you would have manifested that six months ago. And they're like, would I? And then they think back six months of where they were in their life and what they wanted and how they have that now. And it's because we're constantly, we're energy, right? So we're constantly moving in a direction that's going to help us. And that's basically what manifestation is. And vision boards is just basically literally a tangent off that really, because how you manifest, you can manifest with vision vision balls, you can manifest with affirmations. There's so many different techniques, EFT tapping, but I love vision balls because I it's looking at me every day and when I wake up and it's it's like, yeah, it's there. So it's really important. And following up from that, what is your definition of success? So for me, I would say meeting and exceeding my expectations or goals. 
So that's my definition of success. It's like I've put my mind to something and I've exceeded my own goals and expectations. And lastly, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live a little bit differently? I would have loved someone just to say to me that, you know, the life you're living now, this is the actual the norm. That life you was living before, that mediocre life that you was living before, you weren't living, it was all a lie. And I think if all of us could be told that at a younger age, we'll be better off. Cause then we'll know that this is our real life. Like the life I'm living right now, this is the life I should be living. And I wish I was living it sooner, but I just didn't know any better because my family didn't know any better. But now I know better Then I'm gonna pass that down to my family money blueprint and they'll pass it down to theirs. It's just literally like, you know, changing the generation curses that we have. What a lovely note to end on. So if people wanna find more out about you, where can they find you? So I'm mostly on Instagram under Natalie Scott Empowers. You'll see me there most days. And if you wanna connect with me, you know, follow, shop me a DM. I'll be more than happy to answer your questions. You can also find me on Twitter at Miss Scottsway. And obviously on my website as well, natalieScottEmpowers.com. And I'll put all of that in the show notes below. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me, Julia. If this conversation has helped you in any way or led to some insights, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and family. I would also be incredibly grateful if you wrote a review as this helps me record more episodes. To make sure you don't miss an episode of the Modern Day Rebels podcast, just subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow at Modern Day Rebels on Instagram or sign up to the newsletter to stay up to date. All the links mentioned in this episode are in the show notes below. See you in two weeks.